What's up, everybody? Welcome to Azizi Podcast. My next guest is Julian Bro. He is the CEO of Heart Bacon. We talked a lot about startups in Canada, fundraising, and of course, Canadian looming recession. Uh, that's something that is. Uh, I feel like everybody should think about these days. But before we start, please don't forget to subscribe to this episode, follow it, click like, and of course, give us five stars and a beautiful review. And also, I have a Telegram community, uh, which I think you guys should join. Uh, I will leave the link uh, to this community in the description of this episode, and uh, I really hope you will join that. Julian, bro, thank you so much for being on the spot. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I've been a, a fan of uh, Hard Bacon for a long time now, and I was always and I met you once at the, at the conference, and we had a great chat. And uh, you're a very interesting uh, uh, person because, uh, you know, your path is very interesting to me. You are the CEO and the founder of uh, Hard Bacon. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Yours is too. We, we should do a podcast about you next time. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, hopefully, <laughs> I will be interesting enough for that. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I wanted to ask you about Hard Bacon in itself and about you in particular and how did you decide to go into business and start something like Hard Bacon. You know, this is a it's a cool startup. It has it has its own app, which is amazing, and it has you know different web platforms. How did it all came to be, and when did it all start? Yeah, it's it's. I, I wish like I had this uh, you know this idea, you know, five years ago because like it's evolved. But to, to to be honest with you, it started as I wanted to to kind of level the playing field in terms of investment. And now we're, we're our bacon is more a personal finance app uh, than an investing app. For sure. But the beginning, that was kind of the vision was, you know, I was a, a financial journalist and, you know, I had access to a Bloomberg terminal. I mean, we were sharing one for the whole press. Room. That, that, that <laughs> yeah, tells you. Super expensive right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think the last time I checked was like 20,000 US per year, oh my uh, but God. it's probably more expensive now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, for like, and I, you know, you have access to so much things, like you can have the phone number and you can message directly with, you know, uh, Bloomberg messaging, mm-hmm. or I, I don't know exactly how they call it, but it, it's, you can, uh, talk directly to, to the analyst covering a stock to the, you know, the, wow. the biggest shareholders that, you know, needed to file. I don't remember the number of the, the number of the form that you need to, to file when you hold more than 10% of a public company. Uh, but you, like you, you could find this information elsewhere, but so much time consuming because, you know, sometimes you have to deal with PDF and really weird uh, way to search. So, so like I felt, you know, the retail investor was kind of, you know, fucked. And, and obviously this, the data, you know, uh, confirms it is, you know, most retail investors are doing really poorly, even mm-hmm. if the professional are not doing so well. That, that's why, you know, inv- index investing is so popular. But like retail investor p- picking stock is just a catastrophe. And I thought, you know, so many things, you know, uh, with, you know, modern software can be automatized and calculated for you. And I was like, why the banks, you know, don't offer a platform that would give you an idea, you know, of your return on a position, you know, by taking into account, you know, the trading fees and the, the currency conversion, you know, for let's say for a Canadian investment in the U.S., and also, you know, benchmark you to like, okay, like you did a return, but actually, you know, maybe you, you know, the, you didn't beat the the index on this on on this position, for example. Uh, all of those is not very hard 
you know, technology to develop. We're not even talking about AI. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. you know, traditional software. Uh, and right. so, so that was the first idea is like, let's bring, you know, and initially Hardbacon, we, I wanted to launch um, a brokerage, an online brokerage that would be made for, you know, this century that would really help people do the right thing. And, and what year uh, was that? Uh, I, when I started to research this idea, it was 2016. Like Hardbacon was founded in 2017. Uh, but I think, yeah, I, I don't know exactly when I, I switched the name. But at, at the beginning, you know, Hardbacon, the first iteration was a landing page that had like, you know, that's the only thing a program. Oh, uh, just the so website. The, the initial landing page, I did it in HTML, was like five line of of code, you know, no CSS, just, you know, mm-hmm. HTML. So, mm-hmm. so that gives you an idea. I'm not such a technical person. My background is, you know, uh, financial journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was the first iteration. I just wanted to help, you know, the small investor make better investment and better, better decision. Uh, it didn't take me much time to realize that launching a brokerage did, didn't make any economic sense. Um, and the proof is that nobody, even well simple, they bought the brokerage and, and nobody launched new brokerage with new license, you mm-hmm. know, since I did this research. So, so, so I was, you know, hopefully like in business, you do a lot of mistakes. It's unavoidable, but at least I didn't do this one to try to, okay. you know, get a license. And it's so hard to get a license in Canada compared to the U.S. Um, and then the cost structure, it, it costs you a lot of money uh at the beginning so so yeah for sure it's like you know for for an existing brokerage to do another trade you know cost them almost zero that's true but in order to be able you know to be a brokerage and you know offer those trades you, you need to, to spend a lot of money uh, up front so so like i realized that even you know if i was great at fundraising which i was not um i even if i had you know i, I estimated it, it would cost me about 20 million just to get you know to the first wow. trade that's crazy. Um, yeah, it's too, it's too much money. Uh, and uh, uh, even then, you know, it, 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 you know, we did financial projection. It doesn't look good. Like I wouldn't have invested my own money in this. So obviously, if, you know, it didn't make any economic sense to take a risk to, to get a, a lousy business that, you know, mm-hmm. is not profitable. Then, you know, so, so I've ended the idea and we ended up using screen scraping to kind of add the software layer to existing brokerage in Canada. That, that was the first version of our bacon. Mm-hmm. And then we realized that- What is, what know, is a screen scraping, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, yeah. Uh, so so for, for those uh, that are familiar with open banking, uh, open banking in Europe is, you know, basically banks allowing third party to use the data when the consumer decide to share it with the third party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually it's going to be done through an API. Uh, not everybody knows what an API is, but basically it's a, a, it's a technology or a way to, to get structured data from one software to another. So basically a way for our software to connect to, you know, let's say RBC software and they give us information. Uh, screen scraping is, it doesn't, it's not a software that talks to another software. It's, I mean, it is in a way, but it's, screen scraping is basically a little, piece of software that act as if it's a human. So it doesn't, you know, talk in code, it actually click on buttons and screen scrape, which is like basically take pictures of the screen and then transform this, you know, those pictures of the screen into uh, data. Um, so so, so it, it's not as good and as fast and as precise as 
you know, being directly integrated. But currently in Canada, uh, that's the way that, you know, if you, you know, you open a, a brokerage account, like with Wealthsimple Trade, and they ask you to connect a bank account, it's going to use screen scraping to, to do this kind of connection, because actually there's no infrastructure to have direct connection. Um, so mm -hmm. so they, they announced, you know, the federal government announced that they would, implement some form of open banking in Canada in 2023. So hopefully, uh, but that, that kind of get, got me started in, you know, like this space. And eventually like today we kind of realized that, you know, not only there was not much money to, to be made um, in the space of, you know, uh, catering to self-directed investors, but also that, you know, the real, you know, personal finance problem of people was not really that, you know, it is a problem that people can pick stock. But as we said at the beginning, most people pr should probably just, you know, index invest mm -hmm. uh, and, and pick a, a, an ETF that track the market. Uh, so so we, we realized that the biggest problem is, you know, the lack of financial literacy, like people are not budgeting people when they sign, like they get an insurance policy, a mortgage, they, they don't read the fine print, they don't even understand what to look for in the fine print. So even if they read the whole fine print, they wouldn't, you know, make a better decision. So basically, we kind of switch, you know, from, you know, helping self-directed investor make better investment decision, we decided to help all Canadians make better personal finance decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then our bacon went from like, we still track investment, but you can also do your budget, uh, build a simple financial plan in the app. And also we're going to recommend you a uh, financial product that best fits, fits your need. And we also have a database of a bunch of financial product that people can just search and, and look for exactly what they should compare with. Um, so, so that's Great. kind of and so, so that means like at some point you pivoted to personal finance and uh, and if you had to choose right now and you have to like say like this is what Hart Bacon is, does this does Hart Baker Caten uh, cater to uh, like an everyday person who just needs to make sure that they are taking care of their personal finances, and and that's where the core audience is. Yeah, for sure. Right now, like we still have people that use it to track stuff, but it's a minority of our users uh, mm -hmm. that use this feature. So, so like I would say that the the top feature for hard is the budgeting side, like everybody mm -hmm. have. And, and the funny thing, people think it's only poor people. I mean, budgeting I mean, is people. my most favorite thing to do, to be honest. But budgeting is an issue for every level. Like you have people that earn like 300,000 a year and they, you know, they just spend too much and they, they, they have issue with budgeting. And so, so I feel budgeting, you know, the poorest person need budgeting and the richest person need budgeting. Uh, so, so it's really kind of a common denominator and it's the start of everything. Like if you want to, you know, you have a financial goal and you want to make a plan, usually this plan will, you know, say like save X amount of money per month or buy, you know, this thing that's going to cost you money. So mm -hmm. before you can do anything, you need to budget. Um, and that that's the name of a, a popular competitor. You need a budget, uh, <laughs> but we do a little more. So, so our differentiator is that it's just not a budget app. It's really an app to, to take control of your finance. So I just want to ask you really quickly, at some point you did create this app and uh, that seems like a, a step up from just having like a platform as, as a website and, and have everything on that platform on the web platform. How difficult was it to, to kind of dis, uh, to like assume this uh, decision to, to create an app? And as a non-technical person myself, I'm always kind of kind of get startled like how do I create an app like I have to create a team and I have to talk to them and like what do I talk to them was that difficult for you to switch to like to assume like another platform like an app platform oh, uh, how yeah. did that come about it, it was so hard because it depends if you have a lot of money you can hire you know a, a great team and you know but I, I didn't have it a sense so the first theory was like you know I'll just bring people they're going to do it for equity 
Um, and, and it can work. Like, you know, I've read a lot of funding stories, but I, I feel in Canada, we're more risk averse than anywhere else in the world. I mean, maybe Swiss people are more risk averse. I don't know Swiss people, but <laughs> like they're very risk averse, especially if you compare it to the US environment. Mm -hmm. So so but then like, and I had multiple, not, not like one guy, like multiple people that tried to do this. And basically it was always like, you know, they wanted to give like four hours per week or, or way less than it would make sense to get to at least, you know, a prototype that you can show and it is working. Um, so, so, and the level of commitment and also like, it's, it's like, okay, you can start, you know, by keeping a job. I understand like you need to eat, mm -hmm. uh, which is a basic need. Uh, but like most of them, when I had the conversation, it's like, what does it take you to leave your job? Because that, that's the only way, you know, you, you can, uh, even to raise money, usually investors, they don't want to, you know, to, to hire employees, they're in business of investment. So they want people that took a risk. So in order, you know, like I was willing to share a lot of the equity, yeah, but, skin in the game. Uh, but yeah, like those people, they were like, their condition ended up being like, yeah, if I get exactly the same salary than I earn now uh, from your VC investment, but the VC will not come if, you know, there's no partner. Uh, so, so I, I never managed to, to, you know, uh, and, you know, I, I, I could talk for, for the whole podcast about all those <laughs> stories, but basically, uh, I managed at some point to get into an accelerator in the U.S. called um, Queen City Fintech in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, which is actually kind of a banking capital of the U.S. because Bank of America is headquartered there and Barclays and BBT and uh, like TD U.S. is in South Carolina, but like 20 kilometers from right. Charlotte or, or 40 maybe. Uh, so, so there's a lot of like everybody works in banking. You go to a bar. And, you know, it's probably a banker, like everybody yeah. that has, you know, a suit is a banker for sure in, in Charlotte. So, so, and I had like a 20,000 US dollar uh, check. Um, so you and, had to go there and, and that combinator, you had to pitch your idea and they, and they give you like a grant basically, right? Or yeah. Was it was, it like a... they, and they give, a, they take a percentage, a lot of accelerator oh, works like that. They, they took, I think at the time it was 7%. Uh, obviously they were diluted a little bit, but yeah, it was a lot, but also there was, I had nothing. You know, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, that's actually pretty cool, life. right? Out of nothing, you created 20K. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's expensive for sure. Like, I'm not going to say your equity is nothing, but as you start, if you get a big help and this $20,000 and also this, this accelerated was really like on site, you know, every day they had mentor that built multi-billion dollars. Uh, Maybe a couple, usually it was more multi hundred millions, uh, to be honest, the, the, the mentors we had, but it's still wow. it's quite impressive. Uh, that, that, and fintech. So, so that's another thing about mentorship. And, you know, I got into many programs of, of the sorts, you know, to, to kind of get advice. And, and one thing I learned is that industry specific advice, very useful. General advice from someone that was successful in an entirely different business can be useful. There are, you know, HR issue, but especially at the beginning, it's, it's like regulatory and especially in fintech, it's, uh, you know, linked to fundraising and it's linked to technology. And so it's like and a technical those, advice rather than like a strategy, right? I feel like. Yeah. At, at the, the beginning. beginning, I feel you need industry specific advice. There's so much better because everything is so different. So, so this was, was really helpful and I actually used the money to hire um, uh, kind of guys and i give them some equity too but they, they had at least the salary and they were less senior like you know they didn't have a big piece of the pie they, they had a very small percentage but mm -hmm. i managed to hire those guys 
Um, and I had also, I, I had a co-founder that, you know, stick finally, uh, and he was doing it part-time. Um, but that's how this got what, off the ground. In terms tell of me about the, and tell me about the co-founder. What was uh, their spe uh, specification in terms of like the skill and uh, like, what's the contribution of a co-founder? Yeah, like technically, ideally, like it should be two guys or, you know, two women or whatever, one woman, one guy, that doesn't matter, like two persons uh, that start a business together 50-50. Uh, they, they know each other already, they work well together, and they're, they have complementary skills. And also, the most important, they have the same level of engagement toward the new venture. That's the ideal. Uh, I, I, that's not my case, but that's if you have that, like your sense of success just by having two co-founders that are, you know, are all in the project, they, they, you know, they're willing to do sacrifice and you know, eat ramen uh, to do it. You're already, you know, in the tough pack, and most startups actually don't fa fail because of, you know, co-founder dispute. So, so you know, there's a downside of having co-founders. But let's say that you know, you two people, you know each other for years, you work very well together, complementary skills, and both, like you, you're already. It's crazy because this requires no money. But if you find that in your life, Priceless. know that you're probably in the top one percent of, you know, entrepreneurial journey uh just by having it, it, it's such a and you know if it's three people the, the the issue here and that's why i said like you you know each other for a long time and you work well together uh is because you know the more people you are let's say you're five people that would be great if everybody is engaged and complimentary and so on but you know likelihood of a fight is very high uh, and you need to structure yourself to 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 be able to manage i've seen so so many startups just fail because there's a fight and they didn't have documents so it's like are you going to start a business where one guy is probably going to sue you uh and to take half the business that don't even exist so so i've, I've seen countless of you know projects that started with multiple people and then didn't have paperwork uh one guy left and they were like we're not going to continue that this guy's going to sue us even if we're succeeding like it, it, it's not a good place to start like it's already hard to make you know uh, something happened in the world that don't exist, but then you you know you have zero value, but there's already some guy who wants to see you. But obviously, he's not going to sue you when you work zero. But you know, if the guy is like, "Oh, I'm mad," and you should, you know, I should have twenty percent of the pie and do nothing. So, mm -hmm. so usually, what happens is just you know people just you know take the next call and and forget the project. Uh, but yeah, having co-founders, I think, is a big help. In my case, it was kind of asymmetric in, in the sense that. You know, my co-founder ended up never uh, joining the company um, full time. Uh, we had uh, an agreement that allowed us to to manage this uh, this process, and it still hold uh, a, a small percentage of the company. Um, so, but yeah, like that's how it got started. It's hard to start, especially when you have zero money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wow, that's that's such a fascinating idea. Like lately, just the, the idea of entrepreneurship, especially in the current market conditions, how does how does this happen? Obviously, this whole you know um, pop, popular kind of thing about being a, an entrepreneur, being a startup founder. This has been you know ever since like the social network movie came out. Everyone's just like all about it, and VCs are happy to like invest a lot of money. But at the same time, in these market conditions, I feel like VCs are going to be more uh kind of like more decisive more picky about like what they want to invest in it's going to be harder and harder for young entrepreneurs with uh let's say very little connections to raise capital and to make sure like to, to make their ideas it's uh, interesting real. 
you, you mentioned that because what happened is it's it's never been so cheap and so easy to bring you know a technology product to market. Not because you know capital is easy to raise. It's just because you know there's so much. You know, I'm not even talking about no code tool, but th that's another option uh, for non-technical uh, co-founders. But but even you know, there's so much framework. It's it's much less long and it's much faster to to develop basically anything. There's an API that can do anything. If you think, oh, I want this feature, probably you can you know implement it by you know with building mm -hmm. blocks. Uh, the the flip side is that you know VCs are not they know that so they're you know they're they're waiting to they're never going to invest like we're not in ninety five where they're going to invest in like oh I need a million to develop a product mm -hmm. they they only invest in companies that already have you know a product and a structure uh, so so even if you were just talking about like an angel round or something you, you need something so so you need to kind of cross that path which is very hard if, especially if you're a non technical co-founder and you have no money you have uh, to prove that, yourself that's basically. Pretty tough. But uh, yes, yeah, so, so so funding obviously, and, and now you know that the market is less good. Even before when the market was great, you still needed the product and some you know level of traction. Uh, now you know traction is more and more important, and there's less and less you know. Oh, I'm investing in the team. Uh, the, the exception is if, if, and it's kind of stupid for for new entrepreneurs. Like, oh, if you had already a big exit, probably you know it's easy to raise money. Mm -hmm. uh, but unless you had you provided the big exit to to outside investors in the past, uh, fundraising is extremely hard. Wow. So since we we're talking about fundraising, uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in right to the question that I had prepared is, is your fundraising campaign with Front Funder, uh, which was a very interesting campaign. I've never seen anything like that before, but I, I, I've got to experience it and it was pretty cool. I just wanted to like uh, ask you to share a little bit backstory about you guys deciding to uh, raise with Front Funder as, a, as like a, and, and for uninitiated, this is a kind of like a crowdfunding platform where um, any private person can actually in Canada invest in a company. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how did you come to this decision? And I saw that it's, it became very popular too. Yeah, no, it's 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 growing, uh, especially since the the pandemic. I think it's kind of there was some crazy stuff happening, and we're not going to talk about this. But uh, you know, the, a lot of people started to invest in crypto, started to invest in the stock market. Uh, a lot of you know younger investor that probably didn't follow any rules, but still they 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 got you know they learn about it for sure. Even if it's like they learn what not to do, uh, they for sure learn. Uh, and, and I think equity crowdfunding really like everywhere got a big boost from that. Um, and uh, it's, it's becoming more and more uh, a legitimate way to raise money for a company. So, so just since your audience is, you mentioned, is maybe not familiar with equity crowdfunding, just like to define it because uh, everybody knows about Kickstarter. <laughs> Kickstarter being a platform where, you know, you have a project, you can be an entrepreneur, but basically you're doing pre-sales or you just, you know, promise thank you note in exchange of contribution. So, so people, you know, putting money in Kickstarter to, you know, fund a project, uh, they're going to help the funding, but they don't get into any equity, they don't get shares, they don't get, you know, it's not, it cannot be a loan, it cannot, you know, the, 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 the project cannot say we're going to refund you with interest and so on. Uh, so equity crowdfunding platform like uh, Front Funder in Canada, uh, what they're allowed to do and they're regulated, so they need a bunch of license to do that. Uh, they're uh, like we're we can basically issue securities uh, through those people, so those people can become investors or, or debt holders depending on on the offering, um, and that's that makes it uh, you know interesting for for retail investor that usually didn't have access to a private startup. Usually, you know, to invest in a round of a startup 
usually you need to be the, an accredited investor, which means you need, I think, like more than two years of 350,000 of revenue annual uh, or more than one million in liquid assets means your house isn't included in the calculus. Uh, so, so like people with actual real money. Um, and usually, even if you are one of those people, usually the ticket to invest in a tech company usually is going to be 50,000 minimum. Like I've seen, you know, 20,000, you know, I've heard of 10,000, but that's very strange. Uh, so, so usually it's big amounts to participate. So, so even if some people, they earn this money, they don't, they don't have so much cash to just drop 50,000. So, so there was a really high barrier to entry with equity crowdfunding. Anyone can invest. Uh, and we decided to go this route because of the nature of our business. Like initially, like I told you, uh, the, the first, you know, users of Hardbacon were self-directed investors. Um, and, you know, we were already producing content about investment and so on. So we thought like we can, a lot of people know about Hardbacon and probably, you know, they, they, they would be interested in investing. And actually before, you know, we did our first equity crowdfunding raise, I had a bunch of emails of people that were like, oh, the, and they didn't know anything about investing. They just, you know, I was sharing about my journey on LinkedIn and, you know, uh, on the newsletter. And they would write to me. It's like, oh, how much do you need? Like, maybe I can help. Uh, and uh, oftentimes those people were not accredited. And when I asked, like, how much could you invest? It was like really small amounts. So I was like, okay, like, I don't think it's worth, you know, getting a lawyer involved. And, you know, the cost of lawyer is going to be more if they just want to put like a thousand dollar or something. Uh, so, so that was the idea because, you know, it's it's still tough. Like what I wouldn't want your audience to think, especially, you know, if they're looking for funding is that, you know, you just need to do a cute video and put it on those platform. And then suddenly the money appears. Like it's, it's you need to, a little bit like a Kickstarter campaign for those that are familiar to those kind of campaign. You need to bring, you know, the people to the party and you need to convert them. The platform is just the way to make it easier in terms of legal, uh, you know, compliance because, you know, you're dealing with so many people uh, and it's a way to kind of convert and, you know, automatize this process to have a large number of shareholder, but it's not really a marketing channel. Were you expecting to have raised so like so much over your goal originally? I think you like you had a goal and then it, it kind of overshoot by 30 percent or so. Were you expecting so much popularity from the campaign? Was that was that something that kind of like gave you that was like, all right, we're really into something here. Like people are really, really like believe in this project. So, so, so I mean, you're, you're referring to your last uh, round, actually, like since uh, fun, uh, starting Hard Baking, we raised about 3.1 million from equity crowdfunding. So, so that wow. was uh, technically our fourth round. Uh -huh. um, so you were like, okay, like I knew it. This is popular. I, you know, it was, it was basically like just uh uh, kind of like an everyday situation and, and I mean there's a lot of work behind it but yeah like when you do something you know more than once you get better at it so so the the, the key thing was to you know find the investor there's no magic trick it's like we, we did you know online marketing to have people that were interested in the round and we we surveyed them and then we knew who to call to get the investment before it started so so it's a lot of work you know, before the campaign, all the work is before the campaign, not not during. Uh, and, and that's another sad thing. A lot of people reach out to me since, you know, we're probably the company that raised the most uh, using this uh, specific method. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they, they call me when it's not working at middle of the campaign. Mm -hmm. And my trick is to do all the work six months before the round starts. So, that, you know, I can like I, I, sometimes people approach me before launching one. So then my advice is useful. But during the campaign, it's like, OK, like you can still find investors, but you have 30 days. And, right. you know, you 
if your average investment is like a thousand five hundred and you're looking you know to raise a million then it's going to be hard to convince all of those people and close all of them uh if you have 30 days <laughs> nice. i see that that's fascinating i just wanted to come back to the app itself yeah. um i just wanted to underline that heartbacon is has this app and and then like uh, a variety of portfolio of websites that it's owned but like an app in particular is really attractive to me just because it's so well designed and it's oh, somehow like in my opinion it's just like for me it's just such a great user experience uh and i cannot really put my finger on it why exactly but i feel like this app is uh very easy to navigate and it's uh it's very non-invasive like and it oh, asks you like it asks you what you want to do and uh uh, ask you about your, like your, your profile and the design is very cute you know the, the little piggy bank and then it's just like the from the position of of the design it's just the color palette so i just wanted to give a shout out to your devs and uh, to your uh, uh designers as well um but yeah I'm... there's a lot of work that, that like I, I feel it can be better because it's all and especially with finance because one there is the the ui and you know you can find a designer that do nice uis that's not so hard uh, but the problem is people need to understand and people have very low literacy rate. And every time we think, oh, that everyone knows. Basically, people know nothing. Like in terms of product, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, I'm better than everybody. Like there's a lot of stuff I don't know. But like if you build a product for personal finance that is B2C, that is not made for expert or people that study finance, you, you need to assume that people know nothing. And that's kind of hard because there are people that know stuff and you, you cannot, you know, say like, oh, listen to this video for five minutes and then we'll let you go further. So, <laughs> so it, it is the hardest. So, so it is a good challenge for, you know, UI designer or, or yeah. product manager. But I, I would say it's, it's, it's the hardest. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of education, I think also I just want to give a shout out to your uh, copywriters, to your writers, to your content writers, because uh, they're all producing very great articles. I, I know it for firsthand. I read them. Uh, I love the articles on crypto as well. So Hardbacon not only like uses, uh, kind of like provides this uh, tool for budgeting, but it also provides education and, and articles that are really valuable that have like information that is timely. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. I mean, that, that's our, basically this, the core of our marketing strategy. Like uh, we realized and we tried many things, you know, like in terms of customer acquisition, we did, you know, a universal downloads campaign on Google and on Facebook. I don't know how they call it, but we did them as, as well on Apple search. And basically we found a lot of people were not sticking to the absolute uh, certain number, you know, would download it and then become a user. But a lot of time, you know, people are just checking apps. You don't know what they search on the, you know, maybe they were looking for something very specific and our app uh, came up and it was not the right one. Uh, so, so we found that the best way to acquire people was to basically answer a question that they were asking. Usually they don't turn to the app store, they turn to Google and they're like, you know, what's the difference between, you know, a fixed mortgage rate and then the uh, open uh, mortgage rate. And, and it's just an example. And then they come to our website because we have really good SEO. And then, right. you know, they learn what they need. And then we're like, hey, by the way, if you want to take control of your finance or save for your house or, you know, and, and so, so we put our app a different place on the website, but the, the, the entry door is usually the content. And then we kind of uh, show them tools that they didn't even know they needed because, you know, that's the problem. When you don't have the knowledge, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Uh, Julian, we only have six minutes left and I only have yep. two questions for you left. I'm new to Canada. I still consider myself new, even though it's going to be three years since I came. But like two of those years were in pandemic. So I was indoors. Uh, so for me, it's also like it's such a fascinating idea. You guys are based in Quebec. Uh, I'm here in Toronto. 
and uh, uh, the country itself is, is, you know, it has kind of like two cultures. I mean, it has a lot of cultures, but like it has uh, francophones and anglophones. And your company in your app is something like new to me that it caters to uh, two, uh, two language speakers, like French speakers and English speakers. Um, just from your point of view, is it, is it hard to navigate? Is it just is a matter of like, just let's just translate this uh, uh, to French and this to English? Or there's always like there's also like this uh, different uh, target audience like in Quebec versus in Ontario versus like in Alberta. I mean, in terms of product, like there are cultural differences, especially in content and also the, the difference regulation in Quebec as well. But in terms of product, I would say yeah, like we just localize, and localizing is a little bit different than translating because we at the end of the day, what we want to make sure is people understand, you know, how to you know budget and make a financial plan and understand why you know they. That's what the app presents to them. Uh, so, so, so yeah, it, it does add a layer of complexity to, to my, uh, like, I, I, that's why most fintech, you know, they, they start in Toronto and they, they end up being really, really big before coming to Quebec, just because it is complex, you know, to manage two language all the time, because every time you update, and that's a startup, you keep evolving the product. Every time you add another task, which is localizing, uh, but mm-hmm. like, I, I don't have really a, like I, we did it since the start because we started from Quebec, like my original audience, you know, I used to be a French, you know, uh, I was writing French for Les Affaires, which is a, a French French language uh, newspaper here in Quebec. So so I, a lot of my audience was French speaking. Uh, all the potential clients, you know, and partners were in Toronto. So we couldn't do a French thing and we couldn't do an english only thing if not like our audience would would have kind of been been mad so we did it since the start but to be honest i didn't even know how com- like i thought it's just like okay we well, can translate a couple things yeah. <laughs> but, do, yeah. you, do you expect and that's my last question and uh, just really quickly do you expect an influx of users due to the recession right now that is looming over our economy and the world economy that's like the, yes or no like, do you think? Do I, I expect a recession do you think there's going to be more users using hard bacon to budget because you know a lot of people will lose their jobs they need to like think about their finances more oh okay i like it better so so for sure every time you know uh, race change like instability economic instability drive use usage and basically it's not because of hard bacon is economic instability lead people to question their personal finance question you know their mortgage question uh, do I have enough money to survive if I lose my job, even if they don't lose the job? So, so even like we had a big wave of growth in 2020, and actually it turns out that you know there was a very quick recession in terms of the the market, and then it was like there was too much money everywhere, but still right. there was enough uncertainty and that a lot of people got dragged to understand. And you, you see it like it's not just hard bacon. There's more money influencer than there ever was before. So, so I feel I hope there's not going to be a big recession. Uh, but in any case, as long as it moves, even if it's like waves of like going up, going down, if it moves, it's, it's going to help hard bacon. Uh, so, so I hope it's just a little bit of recession and mostly yeah. growth. <laughs> well, either way, hard bacon is going to be there to help people to better, uh, better plan their finances. Julian, bro, thank you so much. Uh, for being on this podcast. It was an, an, an amazing conversation. I did not expect it to be so behind the scenes, kind of like, let's talk about venture capital and startups. But it is a fascinating topic as well. And I really appreciate you giving us a little bit of details on like what's happening behind the scenes for like for entrepreneurs who are doing it for the first time. Thanks, Amir. So how, how can people find you? Can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Can they follow you on LinkedIn? Yeah, for sure. 
sure. Like, uh, my name is Julien Bro. It's spelled B-R-A-U-L-T. Uh, so on LinkedIn, my email is Julien at rbacon.com. So it's quite easy to, to find. And if they want to, you know, improve their personal finance, they can go to rbacon.ca or, or download Hardbacon in the App Store or Google Play. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Julian. I appreciate it. Thanks.